The White House and the radical left declare war on the First Amendment by targeting misinformation. What is this new threat? Can we trust big tech to be fair? I'll get to all these questions and more in this episode of the Big Red for America show. I'm your host, Big Red, where the opinions are always right and the facts always cited. In press briefings last week, Jen Circleback Basaki had concerning remarks about the White House's relations to big tech. In the July 16th briefing, she had this to say. Well, I would say first, it shouldn't come as a surprise that we are in regular touch with social media platforms, just like we're in regular touch with all of you and our media outlets. About areas where we have concern, information that might be useful, information that may or may not be interesting to your viewers. And she continues on, so we are regularly making sure social media platforms are aware of the latest narratives dangerous to public health and that we and many other Americans are seeing across all of social and traditional media. And we work to engage them to better understand the enforcement of social media platform policies. Jen Psaki also had other concerning statements about the White House's relationship with big tech. In a New York Post article, they quote her saying, quote, we are regular we are in regular touch with social media platforms about COVID-19 related misinformation, including misinformation about the COVID-19 vaccine, and said we're flagging problematic posts for Facebook. She even said this about punishing those who post, quote, misinformation. Uh, providing uh, for, for Facebook or other platforms to measure and publicly share the impact of misinformation on their platform uh, and the audience it's reaching. Uh, also with the public, with all of you, um, to create robust enforcement strategies that bridge their properties and provide transparency about rules. You shouldn't be banned from one platform and not others uh, if you are for uh, uh, providing misinformation out there. So just to do a quick recap, the White House says that they work closely with big tech companies flagging misinformation. And if you post this misinformation, like Jen Psaki just said, you should be banned not just from Facebook, but from all social media platforms. Obviously, this is very concerning. Or am I the only one who sees this? The day before, Jen Psaki had the Surgeon General on, and he even had some comments about this, quote, health misinformation. He said, today, I issued a Surgeon General's advisory on the dangers of health misinformation. Surgeon General's advisories are reserved for urgent public health threats. And while those threats have often been related to what we eat, drink, and smoke, today we live in a world where misinformation, there that word is again, poses an imminent and insidious threat to our nation's health. Health misinformation is false, inaccurate, or misleading information about health, according to the best evidence at the time. That phrase is really important. Remember that for later. And while it appears innocuous on social media apps and retail sites or search engines, the truth is that misinformation takes away our freedom to make informed decisions about our health and about the health of our loved ones. But notice the Surgeon General's words. Like I said before, he says the best evidence at the time. Now, of course, this is very general and nonspecific, but there's a point to this. It lets them bring down just about anything or everything they don't agree with. Like Jen Psaki said, how they're trying to tackle COVID-19 and vaccine misinformation. But this misinformation is a very broad, very broad uh, word. According to dictionary.com, misinformation, 
So once again, misinformation is just unintentionally telling false information. Dictionary.com uses the example of you telling your friend that there's a party at 9, but it's actually at 8 because you misread the invitation. But once again, you don't have the intent to mislead your friend. You just accidentally say false information. And Dictionary.com says we say this all the time, and it's true. We accidentally say false things all the time. But Jen wants social media companies to treat this like disinformation, which is very different. This disinformation is, quote, false information about a country's military strength or plans disseminated by a government or intelligence agency in a hostile act of tactical political subversion. If you remember, disinformation was very big in 2016 when the Russians engaged in a very, very broad disinformation campaign to decrease our faith, the Americans' faith in their elect, uh, election system, and to undermine both Trump and Hillary. If you remember the whole Russian collusion scandal and all that, that was Russia's end goal was to, was to supply disinformation to Americans to hopefully weaken America uh, so Russia could become stronger and have a more prominent place in the world. That's disinformation. It's purposeful. Misinformation... Uh, it's just false information without any intent to mislead. But but the White House and Big Tech are both going after this misinformation, not disinformation. The Surgeon General even continued in his statement, quote, During the COVID-19 pandemic, health misinformation has led people to resist wearing masks in high-risk settings. It's led them to turn down proven treatments and choose not to get vaccinated. This has led to avoidable illnesses and deaths. Simply put, health misinformation has cost us lives. And one of the questions I'd like to ask him would be, how about the misinformation about hydroxychloroquine? The mainstream media uh, went on essentially a rampage last year about this hydroxychloroquine, this anti-malarial drug, just because Trump put it out. They said, oh, no, it's not any more effective. And that they even put out this fake story that this, this couple took hydroxychloroquine as part of their fish tank cleaner and the husband died, but it actually came out that the wife intentionally poisoned her husband with the fish tank cleaner. She just tried to blame it on Trump. So they went on this rampage against hydroxychloroquine, and now studies are coming out that show that hydroxychloroquine may actually be beneficial in treating COVID. So a new study based off a hospital in New Jersey said that Casual modeling establishes that weight-adjusted hydrochloroquine and azithromycin therapy could improve survival of COVID-19 by over 100%. And of course, sources are always cited down below. Um, even though this research still has, this is very, very new research. It, uh, it has yet to be essentially double-checked and, and um, published. But this this is groundbreaking. So this misinformation that the Surgeon General is complaining about was done by the mainstream media and even members of the Democratic Party uh, who wanted to put, who wanted to make Trump seem like the bad guy and not come forward with any solutions. But it wasn't just Jen Psaki who had strong words to say to Facebook. It was also Joe Biden. Um, there would be a They'll show a video of him being talked to a reporter, and the, the audio quality is poor, but the reporter asks Biden 
quote, what's the message to platforms like Facebook? And talking about COVID-19, quote, misinformation. And here's Biden's response. What's your message to platforms like Facebook? They're killing people. I mean, it really, look, the only pandemic we have is among the unvaccinated. And, that's, and, they're, and they're killing people. So the video quality was very poor. And in case you didn't hear what he said, he said, quote, they're killing people. The only pandemic we have is among the unvaccinated and they're killing people. So obviously very comforting words coming from Joe Biden. And essentially just trying to give himself more credence and trying to scare up the public so they can give him more power to to censor speech on Facebook. So obviously it's very concerning that the White House is flagging um, problematic posts for Facebook to take down because the problem with misinformation, like I said before with disinformation, is that misinformation can essentially be anything that the White House doesn't like or whatever narrative the White House doesn't want put forward. And like the Surgeon General said, he said the best evidence at the time. And But remember, that evidence changes all the time. For example, we don't have any evidence about the long-term side effects from the vaccine, simply because it's only been out for a year. But would that get me banned from Facebook? Should I get my Twitter account deleted? You know, Should I be stripped from all social media like Jen Psaki would, would want? And how about myocarditis? We didn't know anything about heart inflammation until people already got the vaccine. This is from the CDC's website. Since April 2001, there have been more than 1,000 reports to the VAERS system, the Vaccine Adverse Event Reporting System, of cases of inflammation of the heart, called myocarditis and pericarditis, happening after mRNA COVID vaccination in the United States. These reports are rare, given the hundreds of millions of vaccine doses administered, and have been reported after mRNA COVID-19 vaccination, particularly in adolescents and young adults. So... Even though myocarditis is extremely, extremely rare, um, would those who have posted about myocarditis and pericarditis have gotten taken down, according to Jen? Because this could have been considered misinformation because we didn't have any information on as to whether or not these vaccines cause myocarditis or pericarditis. So that's part of the problem with this misinformation. It's just, it's very, very broad. Another example of things that could technically be considered misinformation would be blood clots with the J&J vaccines. So remember, there were six or seven cases, an extremely small number of patients who developed serious blood clots after the J&J vaccine. Now, at the time when they did the pause in the vaccination, there were over 7 million administered. So your chances were less than one in a million, So which is teeny, teeny, tiny. But the bigger point here and the point that I'm trying to drive home is would this have been considered misinformation? Would this have ever been researched if the White House would have been flagging problematic you know, anti-COVID-19 vaccination posts? Would these people be permanently banned? Would we have never known about this side effect? Another example of things that could be considered misinformation but ended up becoming true would be the lab leak theory. So I want everyone to remember that Facebook and other social media giants were actually censoring posts about COVID potentially coming out of a lab in Wuhan until literally about two months ago. I think it was May when they stopped officially censoring those posts. And uh, even members of the Democratic Party cheered this. They said it was Asian hate, it was xenophobia to believe that COVID came out of a lab in China. And then 
All of a sudden, a state document revealed that three researchers came sick with COVID-19 symptoms and they all suddenly changed their tune. So this is just another example of how dangerous censoring misinformation can be and how us as conservatives and even moderate liberals, we need to push back against this, that the, that the government has no duty in telling Facebook what it can or can't remove or can and can't have on its platform. And here are just some examples of how the, quote, best evidence we have available changes, because these were all articles posted towards the beginning of the pandemic that said that COVID-19 was for sure, was most certainly uh, from natural origin. Uh, an unscientific letter from the Lancet said that, quote, the rapid, open, and transparent sharing of data on this outbreak is now being threatened by rumors and misinformation, there it is again, about its origins. We stand together to strongly condemn conspiracy theories suggesting that COVID-19 does not have a natural origin. And they say later, quote, they overwhelmingly conclude that this coronavirus originated in wildlife. They, they actually quote in that article, the Chinese Medical Journal, which is obviously very, very trustworthy and totally not biased towards protecting the Chinese government, <laughs> that that article said uh, the hypothesis that COVID has originated in bats is very likely. They compared two different viruses uh, to come to that conclusion. But once again, that is uh, essentially an official statement from the Chinese government saying that, no, we didn't actually uh, accidentally release the COVID virus. And another article posted, created once again at the beginning of the pandemic, said, quote, a pneumonia outbreak associated with the new coronavirus of probable bat origin. So once again, these are three scientific journals. Well, oh, fine. Scientific, quote unquote, journals that said that COVID was more than likely something natural. It came from bats. And if you went against this, you were considered a conspiracy, ther conspiracy theorists. The Washington Post even had to change some of their headlines because they went after some Rep a Republican senator for believing in this uh, lab outbreak theory. But now that it's gained some credence, like I said before with that State Department document, they had to actually change their headlines. So once again, this is, just goes to the point that trying to deplatform or remove, quote, misinformation is really an attack on the First Amendment because we don't know where the evidence will go. We need to look at all the evidence to come to a conclusion. We can't just believe the first, you know, pseudo-scientific studies that get published and then say anything that goes against them is misinformation. Um, and we'll continue to see how the left and the media continue to use misinformation to essentially achieve their political ends. NPR had an unintentionally telling piece about the media's biases and how they covered the original COVID-19 outbreak. Uh, they talk about why they didn't believe it under Trump and why essentially now they're believing it under Biden. The article begins saying, President Biden's order that the U.S. formally investigate the origins of the COVID-19 pandemic illustrates that there are things we still don't, do not know for sure. Government scientists are now seriously looking at whether the virus escaped from a virology lab in Wuhan, China. That was a theory that was pretty much shot down by leading pandemic researchers and a lot of major news organizations, including NPR, until very recently. So 
why was this dismissed and ridiculed by the media? In large part, it was because of Donald Trump. The article continues, former President Donald Trump and former Secretary of State State Mike Pompeo were pushing this idea, citing intelligence they simply wouldn't release. Trump, of course, had proved an unreliable narrator on the pandemic, as on so many things. Journalists feared that it might be like weapons of mass destruction in Iraq. And there were these vast threats cited without any proof. And the Washington Post, here's one example you know, said that this was a conspiracy theory peddled by Arkansas Senator Tim Tom Cotton that had been debunked. Except it hadn't been debunked. It still hasn't. We don't know. The Post more recently corrected that. I think this is basically became a political story. So NPR essentially lets the mask slip for a second and say, hey, you know, actually the reason why we went after this so vigorously was because we ended up politicizing it. We really wanted to grab Trump, hurt Trump on this. So that's why we essentially just had to debunk it. And anybody like Tom Cotton who believed in it, we had to label them as a conspiracy theorist. The article continues, and I think there's a source often referred to a guy named Peter Danzig. Remember that name. He comes back later. He's the head of this group called Echo Health Alliance, an incredible authority in pandemics and research. But he was involved in a number of ways in knocking down early in 2020 in a letter he helped orchestrate in the Lancet Medical Journal as a source for news organizations, including NPR. The Lancet Journal was that article I cited earlier where they said that all these scientists came together essentially standing against the fact that COVID-19 originated in the lab. However, they posted very little scientific evidence. They just said, we all stand together. The article says, the Lancet Medical Journal is a source for news organization, including NPR, knocking down the idea that this could have leaked from a lab, but his group actually helped fund the lab. He had an interest in it in some ways and its success. And there were, were a number of times where NPR and other news organizations didn't acknowledge that confluence or conflicts of interest so that we could fully evaluate his role even as he was shooting down his theory. So once again, NPR, very politically motivated, decided to not focus on conflicts of interest coming from this character, Peter Danzek. And I'll talk about in a Vanity article later, more about his role in the Wuhan Institute of Virology. The NPR article then tries to kind of cover their tails and they say, uh, quote, well, I think there are three reasons. The first is the nature of science itself. As our knowledge evolves and shifts over time, coverage will also change. But I don't think that's what's going on here. Earlier this year, there was a letter from a small group of respected scientists who said, look, this may not be likely, but it sure needs to be investigated, the lab leak theory. And then more recently, Joe Biden said, let's investigate this matter of national security. We need to know if we can prevent future pandemics. So in trying to save face, like I said before, NPR just admits that they, it wasn't legitimate when Trump said it. But now that Biden's saying it, they actually need to give it some credence because orange man bad. And then in the concluding paragraphs of that article, they speak volumes about media bias. They say, quote, well, let's take our first principles here in the media. We have to interrogate what we know, how we know, even in times of crisis. We have to be an honest broker of facts that lead to truth. And we have to give our audiences enough information and context to evaluate what we present to them. When the media doesn't listen closely enough, when it doesn't challenge its own instincts or biases, I think we give grist to those who would undermine the credibility of the press and, by extension, the scientific and public health communities 
I too think regardless of what proves to be the source of the outbreak, you know, that happens in this instance and it's unfortunate. So NPR kind of admits its own bias, kind of admits its biases that they, and admits fault that they didn't really challenge their own instincts. They were more focused politically. Of course, this isn't a real apology and we shouldn't let NPR or any of these mainstream media goons who are now coming around like, oh, it was clearly an outbreak. You know, they were studying bat coronaviruses in the Wuhan Institute of Virology and there happens to be an outbreak in the town that it's located in. Like, oh, how dumb are we all? Like, we shouldn't let these guys get off scot-free. They went on for a year, a year, screaming how it was xenophobic. It was hatred. We were actually hating Asians to say that this was caused by a lab outbreak in China. So we can't let them off the hook, and we definitely can't let them take away our First Amendment rights. The article even says, information changes. I don't, of course, NPR's biases haven't changed, just the person who's in office and who wants to investigate this outbreak has changed. But that's why you can't ban misinformation. This is why the White House should have no part in banning misinformation because they have no idea where the facts will lead. And banning misinformation will just prevent us from doing future research and uncovering essentially more truth. But we'll just be stuck with narratives that whoever's in power wants to push. Speaking on why we can't just ban misinformation because science changes, um, is this – Vanity Fair article titled The Lab Leak Theory Inside the Fight to Uncover COVID-19's Origins. And like with the NPR article, how I said, if we just ban misinformation, we'll never find the truth. That's This Vanity Fair article essentially says that that happened, that the, the quote, Lancet research article essentially shut down the debate on COVID-19's origins. And it was very unscientific. But here's what the, how the article reads. It says, quote, Throughout 2020, the notion that the novel coronavirus leaked from a lab was off limits. Those who dared push for transparency say toxic politics and hidden agendas kept us in the dark. It continues to say, Giles Demonoff, who is a scientist with the Bank of New Zealand in Auckland, he was diagnosed with Asperger's syndrome 10 years ago and believes it gives him a professional advantage. I'm very good at finding patterns in data when it comes to when other people see nothing, he says. Early last spring, as cities worldwide were shutting down to halt the spread of COVID-19, Demonoff, who's 52, began reading up on the origins of SARS, SARS coronavirus, the virus that causes the disease. The prevailing theory was that it had jumped from bats to some other species before making the leap to humans at a market in China, where some of the earliest cases appeared in late 2019. The wholesale market in the city of Wuhan is a, is a complex of markets selling seafood, meats, fruits, and vegetables, and a handful of vendors sold live wild animals, a possible source of the virus. It uh, talks then about the Wuhan Institute of Virology. It says she, who was one of the leading researchers at the WIV, and her colleagues at the WIV have performed high-profile experiments that made pathogens more infectious. Such research, known as, quote, gain of function, has generated heated controversy amongst virologists. To some people, it seemed natural to ask whether the virus was causing the global pandemic had somehow leaked from one of the WIV's labs, a possibility she had strenuously denied. On February 19, 2020, The Lancet, among the most respected and influential medical journals in the world, published a statement that roundly rejected the lab leak hypothesis, effectively casting it as a xenophobic cousin to climate change denialism and anti-vaxism. 
Signed by 27 scientists, the statement exposed, quote, solidarity with all scientists and health professionals in China and asserted, we stand together to strongly condemn conspiracy theories suggesting that COVID-19 does not have a natural origin. The Lancet statement effectively ended the debate over COVID-19's origins before it began. To Dominoff, um, following along from the sidelines, it was if it had been, quote, nailed to the church doors, establishing the natural origin theory as orthodoxy. Everyone had to follow it. Everyone was intimidated. That sent the tone. The statement struck Dominoff as totally unscientific. To him, it seemed to contain no evidence or information, so he decided to begin his own inquiry in a, quote, proper way with no idea what he could find. Dominoff began searching for patterns in the available data, and it wasn't long before he spotted one. China's laboratories were said to be airtight, with safety practices equivalent to those in the U.S. and other developed countries. But Dominoff soon discovered that there had been four incidents of SARS-related lab breaches since 2004, two occurring at top laboratories in Beijing. Due to overcrowding there, a live SARS virus had been improperly deactivated and been moved to a refrigerator in a corridor. A graduate student then examined it in the electron microscope room and sparked an outbreak. The article continues, and it says, The idea of the lab leak first came to NSC officials, not from hawkish Trumpists, but from Chinese social media users, who began sharing their suspicions as early as January 2020. Then, in February, a research paper co-authored by two Chinese scientists based at separate Wuhan universities appeared online as a preprint. It tackled the fundamental question, how did a novel bat coronavirus get to a major metropolis of 11 million people in central China in the dead of winter, when most bats were hibernating, and turn a market where bats weren't sold into the epicenter of an outbreak? The paper offered an answer. We screened the area around the seafood market and identified two laboratories conducting research on bat coronaviruses. The first was the Wuhan Center for Disease Control and Prevention, which sat just 280 meters from the Huan market and had been known to collect hundreds of bat samples. The second, the researchers wrote, was the Wuhan Institute of Virology. The paper came to a staggeringly blunt conclusion about COVID-19. The killer coronavirus probably originated from a laboratory in Wuhan. Regulations may have been taken to relocate these laboratories far away from city center and from other densely populated places. As soon as the paper appeared on the internet, it disappeared, but not before the U.S. government officials took note. This just adds to the lie that the Democrats kept propagating through 2020 that anybody who believes that the coronavirus originated in the lab is essentially a xenophobe or you know, displays anti-Asian sentiment. Like the article said, the first people to really put two and two together were even Chinese social media users who kind of said, hey, there's a Wuhan Institute of Virology and another place of working with bat coronaviruses in Wuhan, very close to these dense, these dense centers, these dense clusters of humans. It's very possible, it's more likely that it leaked out of one of these places than coming up in the wild, and which just begs the question, and this actually goes to our point of not banning misinformation. China, obviously a repressive communist regime, just took this down because obviously not, they can't do anything wrong because they're fighting, quote, misinformation. I'm sure that's what they told themselves. But this is a reason why we shouldn't be doing it, why the White House should really not be trying to combat this information because obviously then the truth gets caught up in that because it doesn't serve the purpose of whomever's in charge. Obviously, a lab leak that led to millions of deaths around the world would not look good for the Chinese government, 
So they just label as misinformation and take it down. You know, and we could see, we could very well see the same thing coming from the White House. Anything that goes against whatever Joe Biden wants uh, would be labeled as misinformation and taken down. It's very dangerous, and eventually it's going to expand not just to medical misinformation, but eventually they'll go against all sort of misinformation, whether it's election misinformation or social misinformation. They'll just start eventually growing and growing and growing the circle, and it'll never, never stop. This is why we have to fight back so hard, is because once we give up this inch, they're going to take a mile. So speaking of the ever-growing circle that encapsulates, encapsulates, quote, misinformation, here's a hit piece by NPR on the Daily Wire. So in the article, the NPR actually wants Facebook to silence the conservative news outlet Daily Wire simply because it's more popular. So this is how the article begins. Quote, in 2021, Ben Shapiro rules Facebook. The conservative podcast host and author's personal Facebook page has more followers in the Washington Post and he drives an engagement machine unparalleled by anything else on the world's biggest social networking site. An NPR analysis of social media data found that over the past year, stories published by the site Shapiro founded, The Daily Wire, received more likes, shares, and comments on Facebook than any other news publisher by a wide margin. Even legacy news organizations that have broken major stories or produced groundbreaking investigative work don't come anywhere close. In May, The Daily Wire generated more Facebook engagement on its articles in The New York Times, The Washington Post, NBC News, and CNN combined. So, notice how they mention all liberal sources there, but I'll just keep reading. The, article, the articles The Daily Wire publishes don't normally include falsehoods, and the site said it's committed to truthful, accurate, and ethical reporting. So, hard stop, end of story. If they're not factually incorrect, then it isn't misinformation. But that's not the argument NPR wants to make. They drag some quote-unquote expert on saying, if you've stripped enough context away, any piece of truth can become a piece of misinformation. And he continues to explain, by only covering specific stories that bolster the conservative agenda, such as negative reports about socialist countries and polarizing ones about race or sexuality issues, and only including certain facts, readers still come away from the Daily Wire's content with the impression that Republican politicians can do little wrong and cancel culture is among the world's greatest threats. So once NPR essentially is accusing the Daily Wire of doing what they're doing themselves, you know, using polarizing words or using words like Ben Shapiro, um, they're covering everything with a slant. It's just the opposite slant. And that's really why NPR wants them banned. You know, they admitted that the Daily Wire isn't publishing lies. You know, it's not actual misinformation, but it's with, quote, without context – so it should be taken down. And newsflash, there would never be enough context that the NPR would require to, not, to make it not misinformation. NPR is trying to peddle this lie that if you include enough context, that eventually their version of the truth will come out, which is absolutely crazy. Um, just like I said before, just like the article I read before by NPR, how they admitted to essentially being biased in covering the COVID outbreak. You know, NPR is biased, just like the Daily Wire is, but because it's conservative, NPR wants it banned. The article continues, Publicly, the site does not purport to be a traditional news source. On its about page, the site declares the Daily Wire does not claim to be without bias and goes on to say, we're opinionated, we're noisy, and we're having a good time. So just like the White House, the mainstream media can't stand the fact that they're losing the monopoly on information and that they can't essentially control the narrative anymore. If NPR got its way, 
Daily Wire and all conservative content would be censored or banned from Facebook entirely. And like I said before, do you think NPR and the White House and the mainstream media will stop with just medical misinformation? Like, you're a fool if you truly think that. They're going to continue to expand it like NPR wants to do with the Daily Wire just because it has an opposite slant of them. And eventually, we'll just get all our speech banned that doesn't mean, that doesn't support the narrative that the mainstream media and the White House wants to push. So essentially, misinformation can be boiled down to information I disagree with or information that goes against my narrative, which is why we shouldn't be banning misinformation. The White House needs to step away from this, leave our First Amendment right alone, and not continue to try to degrade it. So the reason why the White House should just stay away from misinformation, like I said earlier, is because we can't agree on what misinformation is. Information changes. New facts constantly come out. And what is labeled as misinformation today might be end up being proven true tomorrow. And in misinformation, the concept of misinformation is very, very political. See what NPR is saying about the Daily Wire. You know, see what the White House and Democrats originally said about COVID, about, you know, the Chinese coronavirus. And the definition of misinformation is very flexible. You see NPR really stretch and bend the, the definition of misinformation by saying that the Daily Wire doesn't pr- produce enough context even though what they write is not factually incorrect. So that's why we can't give up on our First Amendment, def- our First Amendment rights. We've got to stand up and fight against this, quote, these, quote, fact checkers and people who are trying to combat, quote, misinformation, but essentially just push their narrative. That's why it's very important that we have the freedom of speech. And that means even standing up for speech that you don't like. Like, I might not like what a Democrat says. I might believe that when they say what they say hurts the country, but they still have the right to say it. And they, it has the right to lose in the free market of ideas. But that, the Democrats don't want a free market of ideas. They want a monopoly. You know, they want an authoritarian system that essentially dictates what's okay to th- say, when what's okay to think, and what's not. So thank you guys for tuning in this week. I'm Big Red for the Big Red for America show, once again, where the opinions are always right and the facts are always cited. Have a great week. Do you like what you heard? Do you want to hear more from the Big Red for America team? Go down to the link below to get links to our Instagram, Twitter, Substack, and website. And as always, tune in next week to hear our most recent show. Thank you.